Welcome to episode 14 of the Countryline Songwriter Series, where you'll hear from some of the most successful artists and songwriters working in Nashville today. Country music is all about storytelling, and this is where you'll discover the stories from the people themselves of how they managed to find their way into such a competitive industry and rise to the top what motivates and inspires them, and what they've learned along the way. A native of Alabama, Riley Green grew up with an equal interest in sports and music. Since first releasing his self-titled EP in 2018, his songs like the number one hit, There Was This Girl, The Heart Tugger, I Wish Grandpa's Never Died, and his chart-topping collaboration with Thomas Rhett, Half of Me, have made Riley synonymous with what country music does best making listeners feel something with his no-gimmick, relatable writing and classic feel. Riley is riding a wave of success after being named the Academy of Country Music's 2020 New Male Artist of the Year and serving as direct support for both Morgan Wallen and Luke Combs. The latter joins Riley on his current single, Different Round Here. His new album, Ain't My Last Rodeo, produced by Dan Huff, is more of the signature sound Riley Green fans have come to know and love from the good old boy who still lives in his hometown of Jacksonville. The Country Line Songwriters Series with Riley Green. I'm so excited to have the chance to talk with you today because you are the buzz around Nashville. I know you just released an album, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but I want to talk about your career from the beginning and kind of through the entire process, how you got here to being releasing your album, we're going to just start from the top. So you grew up in a small town, Alabama. Tell me a little bit about what your town was like. Paint me a picture of your life growing up. Uh, so Jacksonville, Alabama, small town feel, had a college there. So I kind of grew up a big fan of Jacksonville State University. Was really into sports as a kid. Played football, baseball, and basketball growing up. Music was kind of like Away, me and my granddaddy Buford bonded. He just loved country music, and he had an old Epiphone guitar. We'd sit around and play a little bit. But uh, no visions of really getting out, no visions of any type of music career for sure. Uh, really just enjoyed kind of hanging out with my grandparents. I had all four of my grandparents in my life for the majority of my life, so I was really fortunate. And, and one reason I, I think I continue to go back there so much is because I had so much family there. Yeah. Do you remember the kinds of music that you would listen to growing up with your grandparents? Yeah, my, my grandmother, Nancy, was a big Elvis fan. She sang in the choir at church, a lot of gospel. Uh, my granddad Buford was Roy Acuff, Merle Haggard, George Jones. And uh, I think it was kind of odd probably for somebody, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, running around listening to Roy Acuff songs, singing Great Speckled Bird or Wreck on the Highway with my granddaddy. But... Uh, really thankful for that because I'm sure a lot of that traditional sound comes out in my writing now. Yeah. So at what point did you say to yourself, you know, I love music so much. Maybe I could actually do this as a career. I think I'm still trying to talk myself into that. It's, uh, <laughs> it was such an accidental thing. You know, I enjoyed playing when I did start playing out in bars and uh, writing songs. There was no vision of radio or anything like that. It was just you know, I, I kind of thought, man, if I write a song that people seem to like, it shows, I might get some more shows booked, you know, and uh, it really turned into a career when record labels started to come down and, and take notice. And uh, my writing, I think, was really modeled around live shows and what fans reacted to. So I think that's something that's allowed me to really relate to a lot of fans. 
Did you start playing guitar early on, or was that something you picked up after you decided you wanted to pursue writing? I had a guitar as a kid, but I don't think I really got anything out of it until sports kind of drifted off as my hobby. You know, playing three sports and doing construction with my dad in the summer, there wasn't a lot of time to learn how to play guitar, so it was uh, really a lot later in my life that I really got where I could play a lot. Yeah. Do you remember your first time on stage? It would probably be at the Golden Saw Music Hall. That was my great-grandparents' house that we turned into a music hall. And uh, my granddad would kind of nudge me into getting up on stage with him and, and doing a couple of songs. So I'm sure it was out there. And uh, it took me several years to get over the nerves of playing and singing in front of anybody. I, I, I really never thought I was very much of a singer. So it was a lot of that and maybe false confidence from those older people that were there just giving me a big round of applause because I was a kid singing George Jones songs, you know, at an early age. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you remember which songs you actually took on as your own and, and performed those in front of those audiences? Mama Tried was the first song I ever sang in front of anybody, and it was like kind of my go-to when I would play out there. My grandmother Nancy loved Johnny Cash, so I would do Folsom Prison Blues or something like that every once in a while. But yeah, a lot of those songs have made their way into my set even today. Were those some of the songs that started influencing you to want to write your own music? I think so. I can remember playing a lot of cover shows and I'd sit at some bar and play for four hours on a stool, you know, acoustic. And I just got tired of playing the same songs every week, so I would start writing songs. And I'm sure some of that stuff came out. I think I was a lot more into like... Jamie Johnson, you know, mm -hmm. at that age, in my late teens, early 20s. Uh, Corey Smith and, uh, you know, the storytelling of country music and some of those older artists is what really motivated me. Well, all of that led you to Nashville. So I want to talk a little bit about your decision to actually go ahead and pursue this as a career. You said record labels started becoming interested in you. Was there a moment that you said to yourself, you know, this could actually work, and I think I'm going to head out to Nashville and try this. I went to Nashville one time and played a, an open mic night. I think it was at maybe Tootsie's downtown, and I remember waiting for an hour to play two songs, and there was like 10 people in line behind me, and everybody I heard was better than me, so I just went back home. I didn't play <laughs> in Nashville anymore after that. Uh, I think my like eye-open moment that I might have a career was when uh, a guy called from Birmingham asked me to come play at this venue called Iron City that holds about 1,300 people. And I was really hesitant to go down there because I figured it would be empty. You know, I didn't know anybody. I'd never played in Birmingham, and we sold like 1,200-something tickets. And I didn't know anybody knew me down there, so I was really like, okay, so writing songs was kind of my way to set myself apart from all these people that play cover shows and all these bars that are maybe more talented than me vocally or whatever it is. So I really focused a lot on writing, and I think that's what kind of gave me the opportunity to appeal to a newer audience every time I went somewhere. So talk about your big break. I put that in quotes because everyone wants to know, like, what was the moment? What was the, the big break that you fell into that actually made this whole thing come together? Um, was there a moment that you sat down with someone and, and you know, formed a team and they said, this is, this is going to work. Let's, let's make a go for this. I know that playing a lot of shows in the Southeast and selling, you know, a thousand, two thousand tickets to some of these venues in college towns down in uh, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi was really more than I ever thought I'd be doing. And then to have record labels calling me and publishing companies, my goal was really, I thought, a publishing deal made sense. I thought I was a good enough writer that I could make some money writing songs. So when record labels started calling, I ended up signing with Big Machine and them talking about going to country radio with a single. Mm -hmm. 
that was so much more than I'd ever imagined would happen to me that it, it wasn't really a goal. It was just kind of like from that moment on, it was just a blur of uh, kind of accolades and, and accomplishments from ACM awards to number ones to gold and platinum records. And, and you really, uh, it's something I try every day to kind of take in. I was going to say, I feel like when you're at that stage in your career, everything is moving so quickly around you. Do you have a moment to stop every now and then and say, wow, this is actually really cool? Yeah, uh, not as many as I'd like. You yeah. know, we, we stay pretty busy, and, and it's uh, it's one of those things where there there's always a few shows or a few venues or a few appearances you get to make that you kind of look forward to. You know, we're doing Red Rocks next year. That's something I'm pretty excited about. Getting to play the Opry the first time, playing the Rhyme in the first time, those kind of things they stand out. But there's so much going on, you know, and it's 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 just growing so fast and you're getting in front of new fans every week, it's hard not to be excited or find something to be excited about. Right. Well, I want to go back and touch on, you talked about performing at the ACM Awards. I know you won the ACM New Male Vocalist of the Year in 2020. Take me back to that time because those were some of the first really big moments that came to you. Do you remember what was going through your mind when you found out you won that award? Uh, an ACM award, even getting to go to those award shows was so crazy and, and to be nominated and then to win a New Millers of the Year was, you know, the first thing I did was Google who'd won it before, <laughs> you know, and you see a list of names and it's all these people that, you know, I, I grew up listening to and it's really kind of validating, you know, it's, it's it's motivating, it makes you want to go out and keep doing what you're doing, become a better songwriter, better performer, whatever that is, but it, it just shows that something that I was doing was working and, and I think in this town it's it's tough to kind of have blinders and not get distracted by somebody else's success and that was something that I think really helped me a lot to have that, even though it was during a you know, 2020, and we didn't really have the regular award show that, you know, we were all looking forward to. It was still a, a pretty cool moment for me. And you also performed. So what does it feel like to know you're performing on such a prestigious stage? I know you've been performing for so long. Would that have to have been a little bit more special, knowing it was going out to an audience that holds country music so near and dear to them? Yeah, it was like doing this interview. You know, you tell me how many people watch this. Uh, I know, there, no a, pressure. There's a lot of opportunity, you know, when you when you do stuff like that. And it is really cool, uh, but there's a little bit of nerves that comes with something like that because you know you really do have an opportunity that there's thousands of people would, would kill for. So it's, uh, it's cool to get that opportunity to play in front of those folks and have that kind of audience, but also it's uh, those are not the most comfortable shows. Right, you know, yeah. Playing those live TV or recorded, whatever it is. Well, you've been doing so many shows. I mean, I know you've been opening shows for Morgan Wallen and so many artists. What have you learned from getting to kind of stand on the sidelines and watch those superstars who've come along before you? Have you learned anything that you put into your own show? Yeah, I think you have to learn uh, from, from artists like that. You know, my first major tour was Brad Paisley. We did uh, Luke Bryan, Dirk Bentley, Jason Aldean. And those guys have been doing it for so long. I think from them I learned a lot about how to really try to bring the same energy every night. You know, those guys have done it for 20 years or right. more, and they're playing some of the same songs. So you just got to look at it like maybe it's somebody's first time hearing that song or seeing you perform. And, and you know, that's kind of how I started out, was trying to go in these little barbecue restaurants or coffee shops or whatever it was and win over a crowd that really wasn't there to see me. Uh, so when you go and you get a chance to open for these folks, you think about some of those people out there have no idea who I am. And, and all the way to Luke Combs this year with stadium shows, Watching how you know his come up was so quick, but yet he can still fill up a stadium and even filling that stage up. There's a learning curve to playing a show like that versus the smaller, more intimate shows. 
So how do you connect? I mean, when you're in a stadium like that and there are people so far away, they look like little dots to you, right? How have you figured out the way to connect with those fans? And obviously it's worked for you because you, you have a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it, it helps a lot to, uh, when you have, I wish grandpa's never died. That's a, a song seems to connect with a lot of people. That's for so, sure. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been really cool to be in front of, you know, 50,000 people and, and play that song and see that, you know, it, it really gets that emotion out of everybody. And uh, it's different, you know, because a lot of my shows, some of my, I guess, biggest moments in my set is when I sit on a stool and tell a story or play, you know, some ballady type song I wrote. And uh, that's not really the feel in a stadium. So it was cool to see that that kind of still works there. Yeah. And, uh, and be able to play that show and, and see what it's like in a stadium. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. Well, when I was preparing for this interview, I was looking through your touring schedule. That is no joke. You are going to be everywhere. I mean, like, you don't have a day off. <laughs> yeah. It's it's going to be a busy life for you coming up shortly. I try not to look at it more than about three or four days in advance. Right, exactly. Uh, it's a great problem to have. It is. You know, I, I, I'm, uh, I guess I could take off as much time as I wanted to, but it's, it's hard to turn anything down when people are wanting to come out to shows and excited about new music and, and want to come see us play. We need to go play. And there's still a lot of places we haven't been, a lot of venues we haven't played in. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've got a busy, busy schedule, but we've had a busy schedule for a few years. So I'm kind of used to it and uh, really excited about the tour next year. This ain't my last rodeo tour with Tracy Lawrence and mm -hmm. Ella Langley. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always fun to get back to playing your own shows. Yeah. Do you have a city that you are most excited to be performing in that maybe you haven't before? Well, we've never done Red Rocks. We're doing oh, that's that right. you next year. That so that'll be a really iconic kind of venue and a, and a really, really great show. But there's a lot of places that I've played that we're going and playing a bigger venue in. You know, even in the Southeast where I kind of grew up and cut my teeth playing, we're going to play arenas and amphitheaters out there. So yeah. that's exciting to know you get to see some of these fans that were kind of around from day one and then see kind of what they help build. On the rare occasion that you do get a day off, what are you doing on that day off? Nothing. Sleeping? It's, it's as little <laughs> as I can get away with. Uh, I get a lot of uh, disconnection from going back to Alabama, you know, and being able to just go to the farm and, and worry about whatever little project me and Pops are going to work on while we're out there. So I, I spend my off days back in Alabama when I can. What about the people around you, your band, your crew? Are you guys like a family? Do you do things together? Do you go your separate ways and say, we all need a minute here? <laughs> I think it's pretty healthy to not spend too much time together. Yeah. You know, uh, we're kind of like roommates, uh, you know, on the road and we spend so much of our time on the road. It's, it's a really great relationship I've got with the guys and, and it's uh, taken a long time to get a, you know, a, a really good group that all kind of meshes well because it is a lot of personalities and it is a... Yep somewhat stressful lifestyle at times so it's it's uh it's great to have a good bunch around you and i think everybody's excited about the success that we've had yeah it's going to be fantastic i want to go back to your songwriting a little bit because i know your your new album you've written almost every song on that let's talk a little bit about you know when you first began you said that you thought a publishing deal might be what was going to lift your career off the ground so when you first started songwriting do you remember what you were writing about and were any of those first songs songs that you're playing today yeah i remember not putting that much thought into it and, yeah. and there's times when I, I kept myself overthinking things and uh the fact that i had some songs early in my career like georgia time you know and that, that i wrote you know when i was early 20s and uh that song is gold and you know they sing it at every show I played it every show I play and uh, a lot of stuff off my first album and you know we've even gone back and different around here is 
my current single, and it was the title track on my first album. So there's a lot of stuff that I find myself going back to simply because there was something about it that people really related to. And I think that when I'm writing now, I kind of battle to stay the other way. I try to go back to what, you know, I didn't overthink lines when I started out writing. I just wrote about what I knew, and it was things in that small town in Northeast Alabama, which I think is makes it really important for me to spend a lot of time there and try to get my inspiration from the same place. Yeah. Are you one of these writers that can go into a room and just crank out song after song, or do you have to have the inspiration really come to you to be creative in that way? I don't know that I've written a song the same way twice. Interesting. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, I, I wish Grandpa's Never Died. I wrote down the title on a plane going home from Las Vegas for the funeral. Uh, my granddad Lennon passed away, and I think I sat down and wrote that song in about 45 minutes, like the next week, you know, and it's... Uh, there's some that I've really sat down and it's taken me a while to write. Uh, Hell of a Way to Go was one that I remember having the title and the chorus for quite some time and then finally writing it. Just one day it kind of came to me. I think if I'm passionate about the topic, it's a lot easier for me to write. And then there's some writes where I sit down with a couple of guys and they just have a cool idea or I do and we really throw stuff around until we get something that might take all day. So it's, it's never the same twice, I don't think. I, I will say that I think if my passion level is a little higher for what the topic is. I, I tend to put a little more into it sometimes. Do you have a favorite collaboration story that you can share with us, like co-writing with somebody that there was just magic in the room and it's something you'll never forget? Uh, well, you know, me and Eric Dillon, his name's pretty heavy on my, my records. He, uh, the first song we ever wrote together was Outlaws Like Us, which was a really big song for me. And then I think maybe the second song was There Was This Girl, which was my first number one. And, uh, I think the biggest thing, there's so many talented songwriters in town, the biggest asset that I find is people that really get where I came from and and get what my fans relate to. And I think that comes from me taking Eric out on the road with me and him coming to spend some time in my hometown. And that's something I really try to make time to do with everybody I write with because I think there's a, a lot of benefit from that. And even uh, Dan Huff, who produced my record, is uh, him coming to shows I think really – allowed us to mesh a little bit in, in how we go about producing these records. And I think the last one, we really captured kind of not only how I got where I am in my career, but also where I am now. Well, Dan Huff is something, a topic that I wanted to talk with you about because, I mean, Dan has worked with literally everyone in music. I mean, he has worked on some of the most unbelievable records to ever come out of Nashville. So tell me about the experience. What has it been like working with him? And how did you come up with the feeling and the vibe for what your album was going to be? So something that really benefited me a lot when I came to town was I didn't know anybody. So when they started talking about record labels or producers or whatever. I just met Dan and he was just an awesome guy. Like I just really liked That's him as really a person. Cool. I think he said, hey man, we'll go in and we'll cut three sides and if we like it, great. If we don't, we'll move on. And I don't know that Dan, when I looked at the list of names of people he'd worked with, obviously it was a very long list, but I don't know if there was anybody in there that I thought really sounded like me mm-hmm. or what I envisioned that didn't bother me because I, I really figured he could do it. And it was a uh, a really fun process this time, especially because we, instead of putting out an EP or, or four songs or cutting a single, we, we really went and cut a whole album. And when you do that, you can really try to make it a well-rounded project, I guess. You can have a lot of different types of songs, but also kind of have a theme. And I think just uh, kind of getting back to that really traditional, maybe even a little at times broken down, rough country sound that I started out with is, is kind of where we went. Well, of course, we're talking about your new album, Highly Influenced. So I want to get into the different tracks and everything, but talk a little bit about 
how long it took you from beginning to end to get this project together? It seems like it took three years. Uh, <laughs> it, it really, as an artist, I think I speak for a lot of us when I say that you're always kind of uh, antsy about putting out new music. You always want the next thing, and fans definitely do now with as many different ways to consume music as there is. It's always kind of more is more. So uh, I never stopped writing for, for an album, and it was great when we got a date pinned down and we really knew what the, what the album was going to be. Then you really start narrowing down what songs, and that's the fun part for me creatively is just think about it as what what is it missing or what kind of song do I need to write? And because uh, you don't always have, you know, some kind of life-changing idea. You know, you don't always have some some type of family issue or whatever it is that mm -hmm. gives you that inspiration. So it's it's nice to be able to go in and try to write a type of song, you yeah. know, or a song that really makes people want to roll windows down and ride around summertime anthem, whatever that may be. So it uh, it took a long time to get to where we are, but it also was uh, a combination of songs that were written in the last year and some songs were written a couple of years ago. Did you have a ton of songs that didn't make the final cut? I think you always do. Yeah. I, uh, and there's some stuff that I'm still really excited about that's not on this album, but uh, like I said, it was really fun for me even just making the track list and you know, thinking about starting the album with Damn Country Music and how that, uh, how that even sets a tone for what the album is. It, it was... Uh, it was just a cool thing to get to do that because we have them before. We've always put out, like I said, EPs or, or smaller projects. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that because that is the one song on the album you did not write. Am I correct? So what made you, first of all, decide to cut an outside song? And how did, I mean, it must have been so special to you that you said, doesn't matter if I didn't write it. The song is fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm not the best writer in the world. I, I, I don't get pitched a whole lot of songs because I write a lot of songs. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword there. But... I think that a lot of my songs uh, that I write come out really true to me, and I think fans can sense that. Damn Country Music was just one that uh, I first heard it from Jesse Alexander, who's a great songwriter I write with quite a bit. And it just spoke to me kind of where I am in my life and my career, that it is a very glamorous-looking lifestyle that I live, and I think maybe even what I imagined it would be like. But, you know, the, the kind of grueling hours on a bus and flying across the country and being away from home and, and all those type of things are what you don't really see. And that was what Damn Country Music really kind of meant to me. And it, uh, I had a vision for what I thought it would sound like. And it, uh, it turned out great. Dan did an awesome job with that one. Well, I'm going to get on the list. We don't have to touch on all of them, but I want just a couple maybe little lines about maybe the writing experience or whatever. Mississippi or me? Mississippi Me uh, was another one of those that I had a title written down for a long time. Me and Josh Thompson and uh, Tyler Reeve uh, wrote it one day, and it was one that really snuck up on me with fans. It seemed like anything I posted on social media for about the last two years has had a comment or two saying, where's Mississippi Me at? And uh, one that I played at a lot of shows before it came out, so it really didn't feel like a new song. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reaction to it was great, and it was uh, it's still you know a, a very popular song with fans. I was going to say it's interesting how the fans can actually play a role in an artist's decision-making like that. I mean, years ago, there wasn't such thing as social media for them to be able to express how much they love something you're doing. Yeah, it's uh, it, sometimes I wish I didn't have it, yeah. but it's also a really useful tool, and I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for me being able to write songs and sit down and make a video of me playing them just to bounce it off of fans and see what they really kind of latch on to. Yeah. I want to ask about different round here, of course, that features Luke Combs. What was it like creating a song with him on this album? It was really easy. All I had to do was text him and ask him to be on it. So it's that easy. Not all of us can text Luke Combs. Luke Combs, Combs so. Him, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you his number at the end of the interview. Perfect. 
perfect. I uh, will accept. It, it, we were we were on a stadium tour together. It just worked out great. Timing up was perfect, and it obviously gave the song new life, having Luke a part of it. You have another duet on the album with Jelly Roll. I yeah. love Jelly Roll. He's the coolest. Everybody loves Jelly Roll. Yeah. It's uh, maybe a, a collaboration people weren't expecting, yeah. which I think makes it cool. But uh, we hit it off early on, and uh, I wrote the song Copenhagen Cadillac kind of as a joke. It's a very lighthearted, fun song. and I, I, just, I just thought of him one day and sent it to him, and he called me immediately and said, we got to do this song together. So it worked out great, and he's definitely having a really cool moment in country music right now. He is, and I'm I'm happy that you guys were able to do this together. Damn Good Day to Leave. A lot of damn songs on this album. I was going to say, we're going to have to play a drinking game. How many dams in the titles of uh, yeah. <laughs> Bradley's I, album? I told somebody the other day I should have just called it my new damn album. You totally should have. Yeah, I missed that one. Uh, damn Good Day to Leave was... Uh, a really fun ride. It's got like kind of a Tom Petty like feel too, which I thought was really cool. But uh, it's a fun breakup song. You know, I always tend to write those like sad, pull at your heartstrings breakup songs, but this one was a little more fun and uh, uh, definitely a much more upbeat tempo kind of song. Yeah, my last rodeo, which seems to be a fan favorite as well. Uh, yeah, that was a song that uh, the title came from something my granddaddy Buford told me in 2010 before he passed away. He was in the hospital for about three months and. He told me this ain't my last rodeo, and I know it was uh, kind of a play off of the Vern Goslin song, which is a very common phrase, this ain't my first rodeo. Yep. But uh, I think it was just his way of kind of easing something that he knew was pretty tough for me, losing somebody I was really close with, and it took me 13 years to write the song. You know, I wrote it uh, just a little bit before the album came out, so it barely made this album, but it's now the title track, the name of my next tour. and. It's a very personal song, obviously, you know, kind of a tribute to my granddaddy, but also wanted to leave it a little open-ended. And it's funny how some things you, you are written exactly how they were and some things you kind of embellish. Both of my granddaddies passed away before my grandmothers did, but I wrote the second verse from the standpoint of if she would have passed away first, which would have never worked because my, grand, my grandmothers were way tougher than my granddaddies were there. <laughs> they would have never made it. But uh, I remember writing that verse that way, and it, like made me feel something. So that's kind of my judge on songs like that is if it gets me emotional, I think maybe somebody else can kind of relate has been through something like that. Yeah, absolutely. How about God Made a Good Old Boy? That's one of my favorite titles on here. Yeah, it sounds like a country song, it doesn't it? It sounds like it's a country a, song. <laughs> yeah, that's a, another one of those like honky-tonk sounding tempo, just fun, lighthearted country songs. Yeah, amazing. Well, um, I think that the fans are going to be very pleased with this project that you have put together. What are your hopes for this album now that it's out and in the world? Well, I, I just really hope that there's a, there's a way that I can both speak to fans that I've had forever and, and kind of, you know, this ain't my last rodeo is kind of a way of saying that we're not really going to change what we're doing and, and what's kind of got the fans we have, but also something that can appeal to some of these new fans that we're meeting on this new tour and some that we've seen out on the road with Luke Combs doing stadiums and hopefully all the shows coming up that uh, people, you know, we can get in a few new fans. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a few fun questions. Not that these questions haven't been fun. They've but been really fun. Everyone has said to me, when you talk to Riley, you have to ask him about his dog's Instagram account. So Carl. here I am asking you. <laughs> yeah, Carl is, uh, he's, he's become very popular. I've noticed that there's less signs in the crowd that say anything about me and now they're all about Carl. I was going to say, there must be some competition now going on in yeah, your household. Yeah, he's going to have to have his own meet and greet pretty soon because <laughs> everybody just walks in and goes looking at my feet and I can't figure out what they're looking at and they're looking for Carl. So he's a... Uh, He's got a pretty unique personality. He's a great bus dog. He's little and he's quiet and doesn't really move around a lot. So he's, he's been fun. 
All right, I'm going to ask you just some basic fun questions here. Who are uh, your biggest idols in country music? Well, I'd have to say Merle Haggard was one. I remember when, when Merle Haggard passed away, it was uh, it was kind of like I lost another granddaddy. You know, I remember like just being that close to his music for so long. And uh, a lot of that uh, era I'm sort of envious of without social media and, and the crazy world we live in today, mm -hmm. them touring the country and just playing country songs, it seemed a lot more simple back then. Yeah. Have you had the chance to meet anyone that you look up to in country music that left you a little starstruck? Uh... I mean, I, the first tour I ever went on was Brad Paisley, and um, you know I was very new to rubbing shoulders with any famous people at all. And I remember him just kind of taking us in and treating me like we were somebody, you know. And yeah. I think that's something pretty special of this genre is everybody's been where I'm at, and I think everybody kind of pulls for each other. Yeah, for sure. What is your favorite thing about the music business that you've learned so far? I think it's got to be just the the uh, creative side of songwriting. You know, I I didn't know that you could set a date and go write with people that wrote half of Thomas Rhett's album yeah. or half of Luke Bryan's album or whatever it is. And, uh, and also the, how those people would be so uh, accepting to somebody that was nobody, you know, in, in, in a, especially early in my career. So it's, it was really cool the relationships that I formed and uh, how kind of close-knit the community is of Nashville, even though it is such a big city. I was going to say, it really does have a small town feel, and, and you find your circles of people, and they they fight for you. Yeah, yeah, and, I, you know, it's it's having people invested in your success, too. Mm -hmm. You know, guys like Eric Dillon and Jonathan Singleton and Randy Montana and Jesse Alexander that, uh, you know, I write with pretty consistently, and, and I, I find those people showing up to shows when I play in town and uh, posting songs that we wrote together and, and, you know, commenting on things, just really kind of pulling for you. And it, like I said, it just speaks to the community here in Nashville. What is your least favorite thing about the music business? I would say interviews, but that's not true. This is fun. Uh, you know what it is, it's travel. <laughs> yeah, it's travel. exhausting. I, I, I think I, I didn't realize I was a homebody until I started spending a couple hundred days on the road. And uh, it, it makes you appreciate the time you have in one place. Sleeping yeah. in your bed is, is pretty nice. And, and when it's not moving, going down the road, yeah. So uh, definitely the travel is what's probably the tough part about it. Writing songs has never felt like work and playing shows has always been something I've enjoyed. Yeah. What is one album that you can't get enough of? Like if you could only have one for the rest of your life, what would it be? That's tough. Uh, if not an album, maybe a song or an artist. I'm, I'm one of those people that will play a song that they hear on repeat until I just can't stand it. Until I've made everybody around me sick of it, you know. And there's yeah. there's several. Obviously, you know, there's there's a, a mood that I get in when I can just put on George Jones and just ride around and like want to cry all day listening to that kind of stuff. But lately, uh, John Party, uh, I've always thought he does a good job of uh, being cool, but yet still being very commercial in the sense that he can appeal to a really wide audience. So I've always thought he does a good job of that. Final question. If you could go back and have a conversation with young Riley, just getting started, uh, what would you tell him about this career that you now have and all the amazing things you're able to do? Man, I think I would probably, uh, I'd probably tell him to spend a little more time writing and, and less uh, less uh, running around and, and uh, trying to throw figure out how to throw a football. I think uh, <laughs> my music career kind of started with the end of my sports career. And uh, like to just not having any visions of really 
uh, knowing where I would end up or that I would have a career in music, that maybe those experiences that I had at a young age, if I'd have been jotting stuff down, writing a diary, whatever it is, there might be an easier way to go back and find some inspiration from even when I was a kid. Well, all things happen for a reason, right? And it's all brought you to this place, and we are so grateful to have this time with you today. Congratulations on everything, and best of luck with the new album. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. The Countryline Songwriters Series with Riley Green. More episodes from this series are available on the Countryline app and website, or just search for the Countryline Songwriters Series wherever you normally get your podcasts.